Welcome back to What Happens Next, the podcast that examines some of the biggest challenges facing our world and asks the experts, what will happen if we don't change? And what can we do to create a better future? I'm Dr. Susan Carland. Keep listening to find out what happens next. Since we're currently in between seasons, we thought we'd bring you two special bonus episodes of the podcast. We're doing something a little bit different this time. We're going to explore a topic through the eyes of some students. As part of World Pride, Sydney hosted the largest LGBTIQA plus human rights conference ever to be held in the Southern Hemisphere. Over the next two episodes, we meet three student delegates from Monash University who travelled up to Sydney for the conference. We'll hear their own personal journeys covering the event and what they learned from the experience. We'll also hear from internationally renowned legal scholars, advocates and world-famous athlete Ian Thorpe. After marriage equality, is there a presumption that all the work for LGBTIQA plus people had been done? What are the human rights issues still facing the LGBTIQA community? Find out as we take you on a journey to the World Pride Human Rights Conference on what happens next. We would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we recorded this podcast on, the people of the Kulin Nations and the people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present the largest LGBTQIA plus human rights conference ever to be held anywhere in the world. The rainbow-coloured explosion of liberated energy and excitement throughout this city has been extraordinary. First for us in the Southern Hemisphere, and one during which we hope to reinforce our commitment to equality and to inclusion. In too many countries, LGBTQIA plus people experience targeted persecution and discrimination. As a community, we know what it feels like to have our lives up for public debate. We have to do what we can to shape it for the better, for all of us. So I wish you the very best for your conference and for a happy World Pride in Are you on campus? Hi, Sonora. Yeah, I'm on campus. I've just got Nat with me. Hey, Kate. Um, Nat says hi. Hi, Nat. Are you both excited for Sydney World Pride? Yeah, very excited for Sydney. Looking forward yeah, to it. Yeah, I'm really excited. Yeah, me too. Uh, how far are you away? I should be there in about 10 minutes and we'll head up to the airport. Okay, awesome. See you soon. Welcome to A Pride Open Road, a story about three student delegates heading up to Sydney for the World Pride 23 Human Rights Conference. We're super excited to learn and hear from academics and experts in this space to see where we're at, where we can go and how we can contribute to the LGBTQIA plus community. 
Hi everyone, my name's Tanura and I use he, they pronouns. I'm currently studying a Bachelor of Mechanical Engineering, Honours and a Bachelor of Science with a major in Astrophysics at Monash University. Now it's time to meet the other two students. This is Jesse. My name's Jesse and I am a law and arts student at Monash and I study psychology. I was queer scholar at MRS last year and this year I'm uh, Gender Equality Central RA and I work at Respectful Communities on the National Student Safety Survey Action Plan. And this is Nat. Hi, my name's Nat. Oh my god, I sound like that. <laughs> oh my god. Um, hi, my name's Nat. Um, I use they, he pronouns. Uh, I do a lot of different work around the university at the moment with like inclusion, equity and diversity. I guess I should do my identity labels as well. I'm non-binary, um, ace. I just say like queer in general. Like defining identity for me is something that is a lot of effort. So it's just easy to just be like, just slap queer on it and just call it a day and not really worry about it. I applied to attend the World Pride Human Rights Conference through working for respectful communities. Through the work that I did, I found a passion for humanitarian issues, especially to do with the LGBTQIA plus community. I did my honours thesis last year looking at how traditional views of masculinity affected the experiences of queer engineers in Australia and this really drove my interest in sociology and how that interacts with social issues that affect the queer community and people of colour as well. I took a very intersectional approach as a person of colour who's queer and neurodivergent and that was a really important part for me. So I applied to attend the Human Rights Conference in Sydney because I have a kind of unique perspective, I think, as a law student and as a psychology student. I feel like that kind of lends you a very um, individual kind of perspective on how the world works and how institutions are often really out of step with what we know about psychology and what we know about science and specifically in relation to queer people and minority groups. One of the things that I'm really excited about for World Pride is really listening to a lot of really talented professionals in this space who have done so much different work in that equity, diversity, inclusivity space because I do a lot of work in there and I think it's really important to listen to those stories of so many different people to inform my work and what I do to make for a better intersectional approach. My experience as a queer person isn't monolithic. My experience... Um, isn't the only experience that's out there. And so it's really important to listen to other people's experiences and to learn from those and get those different perspectives. One of the perspectives that we're looking forward to hearing the most at the Human Rights Conference is from Professor Paula Gerber. Paula is an internationally renowned legal scholar and a human rights advocate. Hi, I'm Paula Gerber. I'm a professor at Monash Law Faculty. Uh, I specialise in human rights. I'm part of the Kasten Centre for Human Rights Law. I'm really excited to be talking at the World Pride Human Rights Conference in Sydney this year. I'm on a panel with Michael Kirby and I'm going to be talking about, uh, in particular, how we can use international mechanisms like the UN Human Rights Council and the Treaty Committees to advance the protection of rights of LGBTIQ people in Australia. There are still about 70 countries around the world where it's a crime to be gay. Where, and some of those, I think it's about five, still have the death penalty. 
for people engaging in consensual same-sex sexual conduct. There are a whole range of very strict new punishments that go into effect starting today and the one drawing the most criticism is this new law that will make sex between men an offense punishable by stoning to death. Now lesbian sex will carry a different penalty of 40 strokes of a cane or 10 years in jail. So that's a priority human rights issue. Uh, there are obviously a lot of countries around the world that don't have anti-discrimination laws. So LGBTIQ people can be discriminated against in housing, in accessing education, in healthcare, in provision of welfare and services from the government. So that's another priority. In some countries, marriage equality is a priority. As there are fewer than five members on the side for the no's in this division, I declare the question resolved in the affirmative in accordance with Standing Order 127. But that's not in all countries. Uh, that's a sort of a, a pot at the end of the rainbow that were, is still almost unimaginable in some countries like parts of Asia. Here in Australia, we, we really want to take action to better protect the rights of, of transgender and gender diverse people. Um, in the marriage equality debate, they were thrown under the bus a bit. And as we've been reporting, the contentious religious discrimination bill is being debated in the parliament. The amended bill would protect gay students from expulsion, but doesn't afford the same rights to trans students. And there's a lot of work that we've got to do to make sure that they enjoy the same rights as the LGBIQ part of the uh, rainbow acronym. Young LGBTIQ people face barriers that um, older people don't necessarily, or different set of challenges. So when I first came out as trans to my parents, um, my mum didn't talk to me for about a year. Like, I would like to preface it now that now that my parents, they know a lot more, they're a lot more educated, they are fantastic. They are immensely supportive, best parents I could ever ask for. But in that period in time, they were convinced that my life was over. For me, like, it was so much internalised homophobia and hatred, and I was, you know, I hated who I was. And... I would reflect that hate into the world. I, because I, I couldn't tell anyone that I was trans. I thought that everyone would hate me. I thought that I, like, I distanced myself from all my friends. When the people who are supposed to love you the most in the world, like unconditionally, don't, your first instinct isn't to go, oh, they're wrong. Your first instinct is to go, oh shit, there's something wrong with me. I need to fix that. So for me, I grew up in a, a rural background in a um, kind of country town. I grew up on a horse farm, um, which, I, which I love. I'm a big fan of animals. If you kind of grow up in a, in a homophobic environment, you kind of normalise it. Uh, a lot of the things that I learned or heard growing up about queer people was it was about bad parenting or about um, abuse situations and things like that. 
Uh, so that's always something that you kind of like grow up learning, you internalize. And especially I also went to a, a single sex um, boys school. Um, and I think it's just very common in single sex schools. The kind of culture that's encouraged is the boys sort of thing. And that, that kind of brings up a lot of disrespect towards femininity and, and people who present with feminine behaviours. It's very different than a lot of people, and I think it's really important to recognise that uh, many people have an objectively very much more difficult experience. I have a lot of friends who come from international backgrounds who were coming from countries where it's still illegal to be queer, and they've very much had to hide things, um, not just because um, of avoiding discrimination, but in, in uh, the sense that we have here, but in the sense of uh, that they wouldn't be able to live um, comfortably or safely in that environment. For myself, I grew up in the Australian culture here as well as the Sri Lankan culture that my parents grew up in. And I lived both in Sri Lanka and Australia until I was about 10. And then I moved out of home when I was 17, when I moved to Melbourne for university. And I waited till about 19 until I was fully financially independent, which is when I had the confidence and knew that I would be okay to come out, even if um, the reaction wasn't the most positive. Luckily, my parents were quite positive with how they reacted to me coming out, but it's an unfortunate thing of even when I go into spaces in public, in, even in Melbourne, that I think I might not be in the safest space for me. I certainly have to act a certain way and consciously think about how I'm walking or how I'm portraying myself and whether I'll get home safe or whether I'll be fine. The Human Rights Conference in Sydney marks an end to what has been a huge month for the three of us. It started with helping to organise the Monash contingent at the Midsummer Pride March in St Kilda. So maybe it's time to cue the rewind sounds again, please, as we take you back to the Midsummer festivities. here at the Midsummer Pride March um, at St Kilda. We just took the group photo of the biggest contingent Monash has seen for Pride March. Uh, excited to start the march? I'm Asha, the Senior Inclusion Advisor for Respectful Communities at Monash University. It's a wonderful vibe here. There are thousands of people gathered in preparation of marching uh, down St Kilda, uh, Fitzroy Street. I'm at Pride um, today. You know, like, you feel so ashamed of your identity at so many points, and then to come to an event where it's purely just celebrating your identity, it's like, oh, this is really nice and comforting and warm. So even though I'm really stressed, like, I feel very, like, at ease and at home around everyone here. To then have people just, like, cheer you on was just, like, a really emotional experience. So, yeah, it was really good. The Midsummer Pride March was a great success, and the next big event for us on the calendar for the month was during O-Week. One of the events was a speaker series, 
And one of the presenters as part of the series was a world famous athlete and prominent LGBTQIA plus advocate, who happens to also be a rainbow champion for Sydney World Pride. Swimmer Ian Thorpe is one of Australia's greatest ever Olympians, with nine medals to his name, five of them gold. But tonight Ian Thorpe is sharing a secret, that he's battled severe depression through most of his career, and the constant innuendo about his sexuality. I'm Ian Thorpe. Um, most people know me as a, an athlete. Um, I'm also a passionate advocate for social justice causes. So there's 45 rainbow champions to reflect the 45 years since 78 when Mardi Gras was really founded um, as a protest against the brutality that people were facing from uh, the police. So it's a group of people that have contributed in a significant way um, for the LGBTIQ plus community and ranging from all walks of life, from you know, people who are non-binary as well to um, some of our straight allies, uh, all amongst that group. Hi. Hello. How are you guys? I'm Ian. Nice to meet you. You too. Jesse. Hi, Ian. Great to meet you. You too. So tell me, what are you guys doing? You're um, heading up for Pride, is that right? Yeah. Very excited. How many, how many people are going up? Um, there's three students going up okay. um, and then two other staff members going up as well. Okay, so is it a perky kind of trip? We got the chance to meet and chat with Ian Thorpe and ask him about the social justice and advocacy work he's been doing over so many years now. You've been advocating for the LGBTQIA plus community for a while. What sort of brought upon that passion? Where does the drive come for you? Well, I've worked on social justice issues for like since I was a kid, basically. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, um, especially when I was younger, it was in Indigenous health and education in remote um, communities, which are some of the most disadvantaged groups um, of people in the world, mm -hmm. really. But for me, I guess um, I came out quite late and not late in my life, but I'm trying to remember if I was 29 or 30. I'd, I'm hoping I was 29, um, but it'd make me feel a bit better. But, um, you know, I came out out then um, and, you know, for me, I had been asked about my sexuality since I was a kid. I had a journalist ask me um, when I was 16, um, but I, I really wanted to be able to, to give back knowing the struggle that I had been through mm. to actually get to a point where I was comfortable with my own sexuality. Mm. And I was kind of told, you know, the reason why it's important, this is after I came out, and I wish someone said this to me earlier, the reason why it's important to um, be out is that you may make it easier for someone else that mm. is in a more difficult situation mm. than what you are to mm. being able to come out. And I guess if you can't see it, you can't be it. I worked on marriage equality, ended up kind of becoming the face of it. And because I kind of grew up in front of everyone here, um, they kind of know my story mm. also. Mm. Um, but um, then I, I've continued on from there. We've had um, multiple iterations of a religious discrimination bill, which um, was pretty horrendous mm -hmm. for gay people, but it was also a bad bill for people mm. of faith. Yep. I'm quite happy that I lobbied politicians and made sure that that bill was killed. 
you've talked a lot about kind of like the changes that have happened in the, in the, you know, the past you know, couple of decades in relation to like queer rights and um, issues around that. So for you growing up as a, as a queer person, obviously a, a lot's changed, but um, what kind of things do you recognize as having like changed since you were growing up uh, as, as a young gay man and what's kind of still there for, for the younger generation? Yeah. So I can give you some stats that really helped me. Oh, yeah. So 2004, um, it was around a third of people, it was about 34% of people supported gay marriage. Um, look at what is 14 years later, that number was 70%, more mm. than 70%. Um, so the marriage equality campaign was so successful mm. that if it was an election, we would have won um, the lower house, we would have won, mm. by, we would have had a 100 seat majority. So that was how successful it was, but it really was a political campaign to win and win in that kind of way because we needed a big number that's mm. there. One of the things that I think is still prevalent and I really want to see this change is um, is just the casual homophobia. Mm. Um, and it's the reference of, you know, you know, that's gay kind of thing. Or we shouldn't accept it mm. with racism. So why do, is it accepted with homophobia? Mm. The other thing that is still around, and this is going to be a very hard number to change, one in six people either think gay people should be locked up or killed. And that number is very similar in Australia, the UK and the US. Mm -hmm. um, so that is kind of still there. There's also just the perception um, of what gay is. Um, and people don't realise that, you know, gay people are kind of everywhere and we do every different occupation have every different role mm. in society just like our straight brothers and sisters yeah. and we're expected mm. to be something else it was such a thrill to be given the opportunity to meet and chat with Ian Thorpe the very next day was a huge milestone for Monash with us hosting our first ever Monash Pride Walk right here on the Clayton campus a huge turnout of staff and students walked together in solidarity through our Clayton campus to show the university's commitment to supporting our LGBTQIA plus community. I am so excited to welcome you here to the first ever Show Your Pride March at Monash. I want you to know this is your campus and you belong and this is the place where you can truly be yourself. How are we doing a Monash Pride March, a small one for the campus, to show the new students that we are here? And it's great the turnout, how many people are here. And uh, I mean, it's, it's a great time to do it with all the new students around. As you know, Sydney will be hosting World Pride, or is hosting World Pride right now. Not all of us can be there, but we are sending our delegation up and they will represent us so well but we thought it's important to bring a little bit of world pride here to postcode 3800. We celebrated into the night with the block party on campus, a great way to cap off the first pride walk here at Monash. It's been such an action-packed few weeks leading up to the Human Rights Conference and our next stop is Sydney. So join us for the next episode from the airport as we take you to Sydney for the World Pride Human Rights Conference. We hope you enjoyed
enjoyed part one of our special mid-season episode, A Pride Open Road. Special thanks to our three student delegates, Fanura Adiri, Jesse Lachlan-Jones and Natsist. We'd also like to thank Professor Paula Gerber and Ian Thorpe. Next week, we take off on the next part of this adventure and join our three students in Sydney for the World Pride Human Rights Conference.